I also want to remind everyone that following the service, we'll have uh, fellowship time, and you'll probably be smelling um, eggs cooking real soon. And so uh, try and stay focused. Uh, we'll be, during the fellowship time, we'll be having a little um, trivia competition between tables. So um, I'm not sure what the prizes are just yet, but it should be fun for everyone. Some of you have heard my story before. I grew up in a... Um, a home where my mom was a Christian, my dad was a Christian, actually all the extended relatives I knew were Christians. My, um, and so at a young age, I remembered our life as a family revolved around Jesus, the Bible, and church. And if we weren't at church, someone must be really sick. Um, and I remember at a young age, um, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and understanding that it was something that I had to do for myself. It wasn't something my parents could do for me. But then at age 10, I remember going with my family to a friend's church, and they were showing a movie called A Thief in the Night. Have any of you seen that movie? Okay. It is about the rapture of the church. And so in the movie, partway through the movie... All the Christians are gone, and all the people who aren't Christians are left. And one person who's left is this pastor who believed but really didn't believe and wasn't a true believer, said he was a Christian but wasn't. And as a 10-year-old, I am scared to death. And every time I'd be at home and I'd yell for my mom, because I knew she was going. And I'd say, Mom, Mom. And if I didn't hear her, I'd run around the house until I found her, because I knew if she was still left, then I was okay. <laughs> and I was scared to death. Instead of living in peace with God, I lived in fear. Absolute fear. And so every time I'd hear a, a pastor give an invitation, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would raise my hand because maybe I hadn't done it the right way before. Or maybe I, hadn't, I wasn't sorry enough for my sin. And, you know, at 10 years old, you don't really have too many grievous sins to confess. But if I cried more, maybe that would have worked. Or if I had more guilt, I wasn't sure what it was. But I was so worried because of this movie, which is a skewed view of an interpretation of what's going to happen... Um, when Christ returns, but I lived in fear. How did I know I was a Christian? No matter how many times my father would tell me these things, I still lived in fear. And until one day I remembered hearing a pastor say that my salvation did not depend on me. My salvation depended on God. It was about God's grace. It wasn't my faith that saved me, how much faith I had. It was God's grace through faith. And it was about God and what God had done for me rather than what I was doing. And I want you to hear two passages or two promises of Scripture. The first is from Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul wrote, 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with the mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then from Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today we're going to continue on our sermon series on the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the story today of the conversion of Saul. This is in Acts chapter 9. And this whole story is a story of God's grace, God's unmerited favor. And what we'll see in this story is that Jesus is the one pursuing Saul, and Jesus loves Saul first, even when Saul is an enemy of Jesus. And before Saul ever responds in faith, Jesus loves him. And Jesus, what we'll find is that Jesus had been working in his life long before this Damascus Road story. And so specifically, we're going to look at this one story that is from Acts chapter 9. And I hope that as we look at it, you will be encouraged to see God at work in your own life. And although we do not have the same experience of Saul, there are some universal similarities that should encourage us. And in order for you to become a Christian, you do not necessarily have to be struck down by lightning or fall on the ground or hear your name called out from heaven. But there are some features of Saul's conversion that apply to us today. And so as we're looking at this passage of scripture, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. One, how do you know you're a Christian? Two, how do you know others are Christians? And then three, how do others know you're a Christian? The Apostle John, later in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not you may hope you have eternal life, but that you may know you have eternal life. So let's look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. It says here, Meanwhile, Saul, now when I say Saul, Saul and Paul, the Apostle Paul, they're the same person. The Apostle Paul, his name changes from Saul to Paul after he starts ministering to the Gentiles. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues and teach that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, The Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept watch by the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, boldly, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked, with, he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. When we look at this story of Saul's conversion and we ask 
What caused it? The only answer that is possible is that it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God. It is that sovereign grace of God through Jesus Christ. You see, Saul did not decide for Jesus. Jesus decided for Saul. Saul wasn't even looking for Jesus. On the contrary, Saul was persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. He didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose him. And so he intervened in his life. We call this prevenient grace. God's grace comes to us first and moves us in such a way for us to respond in faith. And Saul had been fighting against Jesus, had been fighting against the church for some time. And Luke had mentioned Saul a couple times before, and each time he said that he was a bitter enemy of Jesus and the church. You go back to chapter 8, in the previous chapter it's the story of Stephen, and Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, and he preaches the gospel, he's asked to give account for why he's doing what he's doing, and so he preaches the good news of Jesus. And Saul is there. Saul hears this, he hears his trial, he hears the accusations, and he is there when he is, Saul, Stephen is condemned to death and then taken out and executed. And Saul is there giving his approval of what is happening. And then Luke says that Saul was trying to destroy the church. What Saul was trying to do is he would go around in Jerusalem and gather up anyone who said that they were Christians. And he would try and get them to deny Jesus. And if he didn't, they didn't, he would throw them in prison. But Saul knew that the people had gone around the world. And they were up in Damascus, followers of Jesus. So he asked, because Saul wanted to stop the spread of Christianity. And so he said, I'm going to bring back anyone who says they're a Christian, and I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem, and basically we're going to execute them. So he goes with the letter to Damascus to bring back anyone who says that they are a follower of Jesus. Now isn't this interesting? He is going to put people in prison who are followers of Jesus, as if that was going to stop the church. And at the end of his life, Paul is in prison... Because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, chapter 9 begins with Saul breathing out murderous threats against Christians. And so his plan is to destroy the church. But God has other plans. I'm not sure what your plans are for your life. But God has other plans for you. Put this in perspective. Who do we think is trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ today? Is it ISIS? Think of it for a second. Are we praying for their conversion? Or are we praying for their destruction? And if the leader of ISIS became a Christian, would we believe it and would we welcome him into our fellowship? Well, Jesus has other plans for Saul. So Saul's on this road from Jerusalem to Damascus. It's about 150 miles, and it's about a seven-day trip, and he's just outside Damascus, and all of a sudden, 
Jesus meets him there. In a very dramatic fashion. And Jesus identifies himself with his followers. When you persecute a Christian, you're persecuting Jesus. And all of a sudden, Saul realizes that Jesus is alive. And that his claims are true. And he is a changed person. He promptly obeys Jesus' instruction to go into Damascus and to wait further instructions. So when you think of this, Saul is going there, he's going to Damascus as the self-confident opponent of Jesus Christ in order to take people captive because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and now, because Jesus has intervened in his life, Saul is going to Damascus as a captive of Jesus, the one he had opposed. This was not just some subjective vision or dream. This was the risen Savior meeting Saul and changing his life. And when Saul would later on reflect on how he became a Christian, how he became a follower of Jesus, he always says it's God's grace. He did nothing to lead him to Jesus. He said in Galatians, he says that God revealed Jesus to him. And then in the Philippians, he said that God took hold of him. And then in Corinthians, he said God's light shined in the darkness of his life so that he could accept the truth of the gospel. That is God's grace. Now, God's grace is neither sudden nor compulsive. Let me explain what I mean here. Oftentimes we think of the conversion of Saul as this sudden experience. But God had been working in Saul's life way before then. You have to go to the end of Acts, Acts chapter 26. Saul is, I mean, Paul at that time is in front of King Agrippa and he's explaining to him why the Jews are opposing him and want to kill him. And so he says these words. This is Acts chapter 26, verse 12. He said, On one of those journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul used that phrase, it is hard to kick against the goads. Well, what is a goad? Well, the dictionary definition is, it's a stick with a pointed or electrically charged end for driving cattle or oxen. Or anything that pricks or wounds like such a stick. Or something that encourages urges or drives a stimulus and God had been working in Saul's life long before the Damascus road experience Saul or Paul and Jesus were basically contemporaries and Saul would have known about the stories of Jesus he would have interacted with people who knew these stories otherwise how did Saul become such an enemy of Jesus And so, 
Another way Saul, I mean, Jesus had been working in his life was through Stephen. Saul hears the gospel clearly presented and he condemns this person as a follower of Jesus. He witnesses his execution, but he also witnesses Stephen praying for Saul's forgiveness. Now, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus has a sudden climax, but it was a long, drawn-out process of God goading him, prodding him, urging him to Jesus. The other thing was, though, that it wasn't compulsive. Jesus did not crush Saul. He humbled him. But he did not violate his personality. Instead, he peeled to his mind asking a probing question. Why do you persecute me? And he moved Saul to a point of making a decision. He didn't force the decision, but he gets him to a point of saying, are you going to follow me or not? And what does Saul do? He responds in faith. He responds in faith and accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he lives the rest of his life in response to this. Now you might not have a flash of lightning and a voice from heaven. But God pursues you. God has pursued you. And for those who have not yet accepted Jesus, maybe God is prodding you today. Because he loves you. And maybe God is using you to goad someone closer to Jesus. Therefore, we should make the most of every opportunity that we have to share the love of Jesus with others. Maybe you're a Stephen and you get to proclaim the gospel in unique places. Or maybe you're a Philip and you get to explain the gospel to someone else. Or maybe you're a Peter who gets to invite people to accept the gospel. Or maybe you are an Ananias or a Barnabas. Think about the important role those two guys played. No one else wants to welcome Paul into the, the fellowship. Ananias does. He needed a little coaxing, but he does. And the very first thing he says to Saul is, Brother Saul. Being part of the church. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of the church, capital C, universal. You are part of the family of God. And the responsibility of church membership is not so much that you accept the church, it's that the church accepts you. We have a responsibility to welcome everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ into the fellowship of believers, which we call the church. Now, think about this though for a second. How do the believers in Damascus and Jerusalem know that Paul's a Christian? They want proof, right? We want proof. Now, for a number of people who had become Christians, they had spoken in tongues. But I can look at this story and I go, I know that the believers in Damascus are sitting there going, I don't care if he spoke in tongues, maybe he faked it. 
You know, I want proof. What proof do you want? A changed life. A changed life. And so they experience a changed Saul. And all of a sudden they realize, yeah, God has worked in this guy's life. He goes down to Jerusalem and they're like going, they don't believe he's a disciple. He says he believes, but does he really believe? You know, and he can tell the story. Well, I had this incredible experience. And they're like, so? What do they want? A changed life. And that's the great thing about God. What God does is he accepts us where we're at, but he loves us enough that he doesn't leave us where we're at. And he transforms us. How do you know you're a Christian? I didn't have that great experience. But I know God's at work in my life. I know his spirit is conforming me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You can read the letter that John writes in 1 John that if God's love is within us, we know we are part of his family. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ is a believer. It's, our salvation is not up to us. It's up to God. It's God's grace that saves you. It's not your faith. And the smallest amount of faith is all that matters. As long as you say, yes, Lord, I accept it. If you cry a lot when you confess your sins, maybe you're just emotional. Or maybe you're not emotional. Maybe you have an overactive guilt complex. I don't know what it is. But your salvation isn't based on an experience. It's about the promise of God. And the promise of God is this. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God promises to change your life, to accept you into his family, and to transform you. And it is a lifelong process that starts with a dramatic conversion, but it is a lifelong process process and so here's the encouragement for you tonight today the story of the conversion of Saul if Saul can become a Christian so can you and I if Jesus loved Saul who was trying to kill Christians he loves you and I the question is have you accepted his free gift of grace have you accepted his free gift of grace? And if you have, don't live in fear. Live in love. And if you haven't yet accepted the free gift of grace, I would love to talk to you more about how you can know for certain that God loves you in his plan of salvation through his promises in Scripture. And if you've accepted Jesus but you're having doubts and you're having fears. Again, I would love to show you from Scripture how you can know for certain that you're part of the family of God because the devil wants to mess up our thinking and God wants us to live in love. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have a plan for us that is much greater than any plan we could have for ourselves. And so, Lord, we give you our thanks.
We thank you for the stories in scripture that encourage us about your grace. Help us, Lord, to be part of your plan. And for those who you are prodding to come to Jesus, Lord, help us to be loving and patient and gracious and merciful. Lord, we know that your love casts out fear and help us to live knowing that you are faithful to your promises. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.